Uh, we're starting a, a new sermon series today, uh, looking at the book of James, probably better called the, the letter of James. And uh, I call this series, Listen and Live, because as I have studied James, it's become clear that he provides a, a, a pathway to living confidently in, in really difficult circumstances if we will listen carefully to what he is actually saying. And in fact, as we believe, what God is saying through these words of his. Uh, this study, Lord willing, if you look through the book of James, we're going to hit these topics like wisdom and trials, struggles and suffering, faith and works, poverty and riches, judgment and mercy, sickness and healing, and much more. Lord willing, over the next oh, five months or so, this should take us up to about June as we take on little bite-sized portions of this really thick, dense material that God has given to us. Not sure what I'm doing there. So if you would, please uh, read with me. We're going to focus today on James chapter 1, verse 1, and kind of look at the book as a whole and hit on some things, but we will focus primarily on James and James 1.1. 1, 1. Read with me God's holy word. James 1, verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. This is God's word. Lord, would you meet us here? Would you open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, that these words would be more than ink on paper, pixels on a screen, sound waves hitting our eardrums, more than just intellectual ideas and concepts and principles. Would it be, O oh Lord, would you make it for us the very living bread of life? Feed us, strengthen us as we go through the difficulties that we face today. Would you meet us through these words in Jesus' name? Amen. So as we start off on this uh, book of James, the letter of James, a uh, big fancy word for letter is epistle. Epistle uh, essentially means letter. There's more to it than that, but that's all you really need to think about it. As we dig into this book, there's, there's some really interesting things. I shared them in the newsletter, but not all of you have been able to, to check that out. So I just wanted to observe a couple of things. One is... That there is basically a command on average every other verse in the book of James. Something like 54 imperative verbs in about 108 or so verses. So about every other verse. You know, some of them clustered together. But that even starts in verse 2 when he says, Consider it all joy. Reckon it. That's a command. There's more than that, though. There's more than 20 references to the sermons of Jesus, especially the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, that has so far been one of my big eye-opening things is, wow, James really gets Jesus and his teaching. 
even though he, he doesn't quote things verbatim, you know, even though he doesn't really mention Jesus that often, the teaching and the, the clear understanding he has of what Jesus was saying and what Jesus meant just kind of, as one commentator said, you know, it just exudes, this letter just exudes the whole Sermon on the Mount and the teachings of Jesus. You can find echoes of all of the Beatitudes in here, of all those blessings. You know, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit. You can find all kinds of echoes of Jesus' teaching. You can't help but see it if you're familiar with the Gospels as you come to the book of James. And I'm, I'm really excited for us to be able to dig in to this book. Because if we will listen closely... There's some great help for us. If we will listen closely, we will find what we need. As we go into this new year, even just sitting here looking at this sanctuary, I'm just struck as I was praying a moment ago. Just, it's, it's almost empty again. We were averaging over well over 100 people, something like you know, 112, 13, 14 people. And now various concerns about the virus and and various people with uh, positive results for their COVID tests and just travel and all those kind of things. And it's going to be like this. We're, We're going to ebb and flow. And what we do with that how, how we go into work tomorrow or how we come to church next Sunday or how we envision the, this coming year is going to very much determine our attitude and our outlook. Will we be discouraged? Will, will we be confused? Will we continue to be divisive? Or will we come together? Uh, will we gain wisdom? Will we be able, as James says, to consider it joy when we face these trials and temptations? Will, will we be able to love and to live in the way Jesus would have us to live. And so I think this book offers all of those things, if we will listen closely, that we would find a way to live confidently in light of these scriptures and what God is saying to us. So I want to just provide us kind of an overview today to prove that general assumption, that that general statement I'm making, that, that if we will listen carefully, we will find a way to live confidently. And that's what I want to unpack today. And the first question is, listen to whom? And I'm pretty sure that's the right grammar, right? I I kind of mess that up sometimes. Listen to who? Listen to whom? Pretty sure it's listen to whom. The first thing that we need to see is, well, we're listening to someone who is the half-brother of Jesus. James is the half-brother of Jesus. There's some debate in, in some circles about which James is, is talking about. But really, if you look at the book itself, if you look at the way that James describes himself and doesn't describe himself, if you look at the circumstances and the history outside of the book and the early commentators and the life in the church based on the book of Acts, it becomes pretty clear, if you're willing to accept it, that it's James, the half-brother of Jesus, who is mentioned in Mark 6, verse 3, When some folks said, is this not Jesus, the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not all of his sisters here with us? And they took offense 
at him, at Jesus. This James, the problem is, and why there's any debate at all, is that James is a pretty common name, along with Judas and Simon and Joseph. In fact, just Jesus' siblings have very common names, and that sibling named James is one particular James, but it's not James, the brother of John. You know, it's not other early church Jameses. This Judas that's a sibling of Jesus is, is not Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. It's not the other Judas who followed Jesus. And the Simon that's Jesus' sibling, half-brother, is not Simon Peter. It gets very confusing. There's lots of similar names. It's one of the reasons we need to use discernment and read closely, listen carefully to what the Scriptures are saying. So this James that wrote this letter is the half-brother of Jesus mentioned in Mark 6.3, the one whom Paul calls a pillar of the church, the one whom Paul says in Galatians 1.9 is the Lord's brother, that he met him several times. The original language of James makes his name sound more like Jacob. In the Greek, it is... Jacobus, and in the Hebrew it's Yaakov. But for some reason, as it came from Latin into English, we left out the C and it became Jacobus and then it became James. I don't understand why that happens, but that's the reality. Uh, it's a common name and it's James as we refer to him. He's the half brother of Jesus, but he's also a leader in the early church. That's who's writing this letter to us. Is In fact, probably the primary leader of the early church after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. This is the one. The, the first sign of James' leadership occurs in Acts chapter 12 in verse 17. You remember Peter was arrested by Herod Agrippa I, Herod the king in Acts chapter 12, he was put in prison and then the angel taps him, wakes him up, leads him out through the gates and it's just a miraculous escape and then Peter's there knocking on the door of the room where everyone was staying in and they're like, what's that noise? Oh, it's nothing, you know. And then the Rhoda, the, the, the servant, goes and checks the door and, and it's like, Peter! And she recognizes his voice but she doesn't open the door. She leaves the door locked, she runs back. So eventually Peter gets into the house, Acts chapter 12 tells us. And almost the first thing he says is... Be sure, report these things to James and the brothers. You know, in, in, in Peter's mind, as he's set free, one of the first things he says is we need to tell the whole church and the leadership is the sense there. That, that he says, make sure James knows and the brothers. James is singled out among all the others because he's a leader. As Paul called him in Galatians 2.9, James is a pillar in the early church along with Peter, this James is not, in fact, in Acts chapter 12, we learn that he's clearly not that James who was a brother of John, one of the sons of thunder, as Jesus nicknamed him. Would that, I'm, I'm still, I always, every time that comes up, I always just think, would that not be so cool to have Jesus give you a nickname? That's like a really dude thing, you know, like, oh, yeah, and there was some this is a digression, but like there was some, some joking going on there. Like he called James and John the sons of thunder. It was kind of like any guy would give a nickname to somebody because it's kind of like you think, you know, you're that. And actually we're going to label you as that and we're meaning it as a joke. They called them the sons of thunder. 
because they were all bluster and noise. It's not that James who's writing this. In fact, that James was killed by Herod Agrippa, as we read in Acts chapter 12, right before Peter is locked up. And when Peter says, go tell James and the brothers. And right before, a little while before, or a little while after that, is that great council of the early church in Acts chapter 15, when they're dealing with the issue of Gentiles coming to faith. And there's the James there, who's leading, who is influential, and people are listening to and respecting. That's the James. That's the half-brother of Jesus that we read about. He is also the primary leader of the early church. You know, I have, I have problems with the idea of a pope as the Roman Catholic Church views it, and one of the problems is actually right here. Like if anyone was going to be a pope in the early church, the first pope probably should have been James if you were going to have a pope. But the Roman Catholic Church has an affinity for Rome. And so Peter was there, and so Peter is viewed as the first pope. And I might be getting some of the details wrong on that. But that is the status of James, that he is that elevated of a leader. And he is also, though, this is what, so I, 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 I kind of, I want you to get all of that, right? I want you to understand he is the, the half-brother of Jesus, and he is one of the top, 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 if not the top leader of the early church. It's really important for you to understand that because this James, who writes this letter, mentions none of it. What does he say he is? Verse 1. James, a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James's identity is not found in his achievements, in his performance, in his status, in his position, in his power. His, his identity is found in the fact that he is essentially a slave, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what matters to James. He starts off speaking of himself the way many other apostles and New Testament writers do. Paul says it in Romans 1.1 and Titus 1.1. John is referred to that way in Revelation 1.1 as a servant of God, a slave of God. Someone whose primary relationship in life is with God. And he understands the things that he is supposed to do in life as the things that God wants him to do no matter how they impact him, no matter what he wants to do, his fundamental core identity is, I serve God. That's a powerful thing. James, it's just so subtle in there. I don't want us to miss it. That like Paul, you get the sense that James really views his earthly achievements, his relationship to Jesus through Mary, sharing a common mother, but obviously not the same father. James' father is Joseph. Jesus' father is God through the Holy Spirit, miraculously conceiving him in the womb. But this James, you get the sense, he, he, he views his earthly status, his earthly achievements, the way Paul views his in Philippians 3. You know, I count it as loss. All things as loss. For the sake of knowing Jesus. That Paul says his confidence 
is not in the flesh. And if anyone has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more, Philippians 3, 4 says, circumcised on the eighth day of a nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, of the law as a Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as the righteousness which is in the law found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the suppressing value of knowing surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. That, that confidence, that identity as one who is centered on God the Father and God the Son implicitly resting in the power of the Spirit, that just permeates this letter and is so much different than our temptations in this world. I don't know about you, but man, if I was Jesus' brother, half-brother even, I would be subtly working that into the conversation, even if everyone knows it, right? I want to make sure there's not one person who doesn't know, hey, I got half the same DNA as Jesus. He wouldn't know that, right? They didn't know DNA. But like, that's what I would do. I would make sure, you know, in our house, it's kind of a joke. I, I, I know like one really famous Christian person who's written lots of books and, and, and I refer to him as that. I won't tell you because I don't, I want to at least maintain the appearance of humility, right? By not telling you. That, that's a joke. Um, okay, so it's Ken Sandy. See, I worked it in. I could not work it in. And we say, that Ken? Yes, that Ken. And we make it a joke. Um, like, that, that's the way we operate, right? We find our identity by who we know. We find our identity, right, by who we're associated, who we're not associated with. We find our identity in what we've done. We list our, our, our achievements, our resume, all of the great things, right? We find our identity, in the status, in the title, we make sure everyone gets the right letters after our name, if we have any of those. That someone refers to us by the right insignia, by the right identification. It's become the point where we, we identify with uh, colleges or genders or whatever it is. We want to make sure everyone knows that, and everyone honors that, and will be deeply offended if it's not acknowledged. Do you realize all of that is completely the opposite of the way James is operating? This one who is teaching us, and this one who is commanding us, this one who is speaking to us on behalf of God himself, who is a servant of God. It's, it is a powerful thing if we will listen carefully. It's one of those great keys to how we live confidently. That this level of humility, of finding our strength, our identity, our hope, our, our, our purpose, our meaning, all of those things in this direction, with God, the Father and the Son, trusting the power of the Spirit. This is that James, this one who is a servant of God and a brother to you and I. He's a brother to you and I. And what I mean by that is basically, James, though he has all of this status and all of this wisdom, and all of this understanding of Jesus and 
teaching and all those kind of things, that, that he views himself as one of us. As a Christian, he writes here, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, what does he say? To the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. He writes to probably Jewish believers in Jesus the Messiah, who are dispersed, scattered, spread throughout the Greco-Roman world. He's not writing to one person like Paul does to Timothy or Titus. He's not writing to one church like Paul does to Ephesus or to Colossae. He's more writing a, a general letter to a people spread throughout the empire. In fact, it seems like the way the material is structured, he might even have... have spoken these words as a sermon and captured snippets of maybe several sermons and put them together and sent them out with his blessing to say, look, these are some things that I've reflected on. These are some things I want you to understand as you live. That's kind of the sense you get for the book of Hebrews, right? It's not going to a particular place that's real clear. It very much feels like a sermon, but it says, you know, it's written. So those kind of things are... are, are as you look at the content, you get this sense that James just, he's a Christian. And he is writing to Jewish believers, Jewish Christians. He, he makes that clear in verse 1 as he refers to he's a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a servant of both God and the Lord Jesus Christ, essentially putting them on the same plane. He also says in chapter 2, verse 1, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, with an attitude of personal favoritism. He talks about favoritism, but the, 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 those two places are really the, the only place he explicitly mentions Jesus. And that bothered Martin Luther, and it has bothered some commentators who think, oh, you know, this, this isn't really a, a Christian document, but they miss just how saturated it is with the teaching of Jesus and the application of Scripture to life. That's what he's doing. In fact, his concern for the people receiving the letter is so clear. He refers to them oh, 15 times as brothers. Three of those times, no, wait a minute, 11 of those times he says, my brothers, even closer relationship, and then three times he says, my beloved brothers. There's this sense where James is, is just, hey, I've got knowledge and wisdom and understanding. I've lived. I've thought about things. I've meditated on the scriptures. Brothers, this is what I've learned. This is what I want you to hear. This is what I think would help you. That's what he's doing. He's, he's coming alongside of us. And even as he commands, as you read through here, you don't really find there are some that are a little little barbed of instructions, but for the most part, you just get the sense that James really wants what's best for me, and when he tells me I should do something, it's out of a place of love, and it's rooted in scriptures. It's not just his good idea, it's what God clearly wants. In fact, proof of that is that he uses so many word pictures, that, you know, the tongue is like a rudder that steers a big ship. The tongue is like a fire that sets 
on a blaze your entire life. You know, the, 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 the tongue is like, it shouldn't be bringing salt water and fresh water because that doesn't happen. You know, it shouldn't be blessing and cursing. He speaks of the wind. He speaks of mirrors. He speaks of life, of flowers and the grass fading. That's the sign of someone who is trying to help people understand and to live in a way that honors God rather than to show off their knowledge and understanding. That's where James is. He is one of us. He is a brother to you and to me. And he speaks from that frame. So if you put those things together, if you put this, you know, to whom are we listening? We're listening to the half-brother of Jesus, a leader of the early church who views himself as a servant of God and a brother to you and me, you know, that, that means we're listening to someone who is coming to us from a place of tremendous humility who's going to show us how to live not just humbly but actually confidently. Have you ever noticed that? That it is actually the most humble of people who seem to have the confidence. It is the people that, that aren't boasting that seem to have the great stability. Right? The, the, the quiet people behind the scenes aren't anxious about this or that as often. And that, you know, everybody has their moments. But it is this kind of humility that would lead us into confidence. And so that's the, the second point, right? Listen to whom, this James and his humility, that we might live how? How do we live? In a place of humility. In a place of humility. How do we live? In a place of humility. Think again about James, the half-brother of Jesus with me. This is the guy whom as near as we can tell, rejected Jesus, I think the whole time Jesus walked the earth, if you read through the Gospels, this is one who, with his family members, went to find Jesus when he was teaching somewhere to take custody of him because they thought Jesus had lost his senses. Mark 3.21 and 3.31. They thought Jesus was crazy and out of his mind. They said, we got to go get him. He's going to get himself hurt. He's going to get killed. What is he doing? He doesn't seem to be talking sense. This is James speaking of Jesus in that way. He was part of that hometown of Nazareth where Jesus went and said, you know, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. That's Mark 6, 1 to 4. He was among the brothers who were not believing in Jesus, John 7, verse 5. So his whole life, you know, who knows how much younger than Jesus he was, but it's probably, you know, at least 20, 25 years rejecting Jesus. And of course, yeah, it's hard to listen to brothers, right? Especially maybe an older brother. But this is the Son of God. This is the one who taught only good. This is the one who only lived what was right, who suffered unjustly. 
And this is who James rejected. And yet we find him introduced there in Acts as a leader. We find him speaking confidently. We find him in this book of James offering us 50-something commands of how we ought to live. And how are we not going to turn around and say, you hypocrite, look at how you lived. You rejected Jesus your whole life. Why should I listen to you? Because, why listen? Because this James is speaking from that place of humility because he knows he has messed up. In fact, he is the one speaking in chapter 3 of James saying, not many of us should be teachers, brothers, because we will be judged with a higher standard. This is that James who says, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Verse 2, the first command that pops up to us. How do you live like that? How do you get to that place of a confidence despite decades of rejection of the truth? Well, one of the things we need to realize is that he got to that place because he's also the guy who says in James 4, verse 6, that God gives greater grace. This is the one who's in a place of humility where confidence comes from the God who gives greater grace. James 4, verse 6, He gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is one of those great <clears throat> inversions of the gospel. This is one of those great upside-down truths that we live in. That you become great by being a servant in God's kingdom. That you become great by being lower and serving others and lifting them up. You become great not by touting your reputation, not by letting everyone know how great you are, but by living humbly and confidently, trusting not in yourself, but in the God of great grace. That's where James is. And I'm not sure where it started. I can't find that real clear in Scriptures, but I do know that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, that when Jesus rose from the dead... He appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And it has to be for you to live this humbly. You have, you have to have met Jesus. You have to have understood how he came to serve you. You, talk, you, know, you think about James and how he, he had everything to boast in. Jesus had even more to boast in. And yet, what did he do? He, he, he did not trumpet who he was. He, in fact, kind of hid it. He kind of disguised it. Even as he was serving and teaching only what was right, even as he was rejected, 
Rarely did he appeal to his own identity. He demonstrated it. He lived it. And let his words and his actions speak for him. And testify to his character and to the truth of what he was saying. And it is only when you meet that Jesus, when you don't just hear about him, but you listen carefully to how he is described, and when you say, you know what? I understand. This, Jesus did this for me because I am totally not that person. I am so proud. I am so self-righteous. I am always boasting, or I have no confidence, or I am worried about me, and I am anxious, or I am trying to control my life, or I don't honor my parents, or I'm struggling and divisive, or whatever it is. When you get to that point, you say, that Jesus never did any of those things, and I want that. I want to be like Jesus. And then you say, Jesus, would you make me like you? Jesus, would you lead me and guide me? Would you give me some of this great grace and forgive me as you humble yourself before the Lord and find that he lifts you up? We saw with Peter, right? Peter boasting, I will never deny you, Lord. Though they kill me, I will never deny you. And there's like a little girl literally says, weren't you with Jesus? And he's like calling down oaths from heaven. No, I never saw him. Don't know who he is. And where is Peter later? Lifted up. Not of his own merits, but by God's grace. As he, as he seeks the Lord, as he's humbled. Every one of us, if you want to lead, if, 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 if you want to lead well, it's kind of like that patience prayer, you know, be, be reluctant to ask God for patience because man, he gives you all kinds of opportunities to, to exercise that muscle of patience, frustrations, things like that. If you want to lead, he, he's going to give you opportunities to be humbled. And the only way you can step forward and have confidence in that is to recognize, you know what? I'm going to listen to him. I'm going to do my best to live out his will and I'm going to mess up. And like Rocky said, I'm going to keep moving forward by God's grace. I'm going to keep pressing on. I'm going to admit my errors. I'm, I'm, I'm going to understand that's part of my life of seeking forgiveness. I'm not going to trust in just a prayer I prayed 20 years ago or 30 years ago or five minutes ago. I'm going to trust in the Jesus that I prayed to, and I'm going to have confidence that he's going to be with me, even if and even when, and no matter how badly I mess up or have messed up, that his grace is greater. And brothers and sisters, one of my concerns, few, very few concerns I have about this, this, this book as we study it is, that great grace shows up in chapter 4, verse 6. And if you are reading the book of James, which I highly encourage, hey, why don't you make it a goal over the next few months? Try to read it like once a week. If you could sit down even once a month and just read through the book of James, it will literally take you like 20 minutes reading it out loud, even if you're a slow reader. So you would get to chapter 4, verse 6 in like, you know, 13 minutes, even in the midst of all the commands, and you would have that all as a context. So one of the dangers we have as we look at the commands, as we studied the, the things he says about discernment, about part, you know, being divisive and, and, and 
all that kind of stuff, right? The thing we need to keep in mind, and I will, I, will, I will try to emphasize this every week, is that it is always and only in this context of God giving greater grace that you will not bear up under 54 repeated commands if you don't understand that God knows your frame and that you are but dust and that you need him. And in fact, that's part of the deal. That the more humble you find yourself in the midst of being confronted by the requirements of the law, the greater the grace that will meet you, the greater the confidence you will have, and you will find yourself going on an upward cycle. But if you continue to trust in yourself and think, I can do this without that great grace, if you think, I have it all together and I don't have much to learn, if you have that lack of understanding of your need, you're going to fail. And if you keep building up that appearance, which is what you will do, you will make sure that other people see that you're doing good and you will try to hide your mistakes. As you build up that wall, you will find yourself being opposed by God because he gives great grace to the humble and he opposes the proud. So cut to the chase. Humble yourself now. Read through these commands and these demands of the law and recognize that what God offers you is, is a place of humility where confidence comes from this God who gives greater grace. And you live in this place with wisdom in the world, witnessing from the world, I mean from the word. Uh, I'll just leave those at that, at that point with the, with the blanks for you because we're going to unpack them in the coming weeks. But this, this is the idea. How, how do you live? You live in this place of humility that leads to a confidence in God's grace and you seek this wisdom in the world, which has to come from a place of humility. You're not going to understand the world if you're too busy telling the world who you are. You're not going to understand how you work in the world if, if you're not paying attention to how the world impacts you. But it's not just that. It is this witnessing from the Word. That as James brings to us the application of the teaching of Jesus, right? As he, as he, as he speaks the truth of living in the kingdom, because he's failed, because he's learned a few things, he's made a few observations. You know, James chapter four: What causes fights and quarrels among you? You know, that, that's, that's not exactly something that just dropped out of the sky to him. It's him reflecting on, you know what, what Jesus says, it's, it's the heart. It's your heart. What causes fights? It's your passions that war within you. You know, this is James speaking to us about real life. You know, someone who comes in, they're dressed really nice. You're like, hey, here, have a nice seat next to me. Someone comes in, they, they smell a little bit, they're dressed in shabby. You say, you know, you sit over there. He's watched people do that. James has. And he says, it's not the way it ought to be. And he says, you know what? If you think you've got it all together, just pay attention to how you speak. Because there is no one who can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil. He realized like he's a teacher and he's speaking. 
So he's someone who's wrestling with that very truth. You come to those, the wisdom, faith, this understanding, works, all of that together. And that's, that's why, you know, the series is Listen and Live, right? We've got to listen carefully to what James has to say to you and I that we might live confidently in our world today. Would you like to live confidently today? How, ma- how many people feel like you're really living confidently? Every major, every decision is like a major decision. Oh, you just appeal to science. Yeah, I'm right. That's not even the thing, right? Oh, you, 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 just, you just go with the people that you're you know, politically familiar with and the people that think like you. Who is that? I haven't found anyone. It's like, yeah, I agree with you on that. Whoa, what are you, a nut job on that thing? Was this? Oh, okay. Wow, yeah, I agree with you on that. Wow, you're crazy about that. I totally disagree. Like, that, just all of that. Where do we get the confidence? It's going to start with this humility to listen carefully to James, to really wrestle with what he's saying and apply it in, in our hearts, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our church, in our social media discourse, in our lives all around us. Brothers and sisters, I'm really excited about this study. I really think, I think it can be super powerful for us. Can you imagine if in June, no matter what the world is like around us, if we, if we are now a people who understand James, having listened to him, that we are a people exuding the Sermon on the Mount. Could you imagine if, if we were that blessed that we were living, you know, the Beatitudes. Of, we're, we're meek, we're poor in spirit. That, that Jesus says in there, did you ever notice, like, you rejoice when you're persecuted. That's very much what James is saying here is, you know, count it all joy. Could you imagine if when we faced trials and tribulations, we, we had joy as we wrestled with things, as you had an annoying neighbor or someone that you disagree with politically or that's some, that one family member you dread talking to, you know, that the phone rings and you're like, ah, you know, what, what if? What if you had this mindset of joy? Man, that would take some transformation, isn't it? But that's what he's offering to us. That's what God is offering to us through this book of James. That's what's available to us. I don't think we can get there, but I think God can take us there. So I hope you go with me. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, Oh, help us to listen carefully <laughs> to what you have to say. Oh, Lord, keep, keep legalism and, and license far from us. Keep easy answers and six-step how-tos far from us. But, oh, Lord, do let us wrestle. Do lead us to live differently from a place of humility where first and foremost we are serving you that our hearts are transformed to say you know what you are priority number one not the pandemic not the politics of our nation not the party spirit 
of our groups. Not our parents, not our children. You, God, are priority number one. Would you give us that grace, that humility, and would you then lead us to listen carefully and bear some fruit that we would live confidently in this time? In the coming weeks and months, Lord, would you do that work in us? We pray and we will give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.